Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Susan Garlinger. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. My name's Susan, and I get to serve here as the Bible study pastor, so I want to welcome you back to our study in Proverbs. And this morning, we're going to start off right away by looking at the screen, and I want to ask, do you ever go into somebody's house and you see the family pictures hanging on the wall, and you wonder, what's the story behind that picture? So I've got some pictures for us to see, and I have no clue what the stories are, so I'm going to make them up as we go. (laughs) These four girls, especially the oldest one, she always wanted a little brother. And so every time the mom got pregnant, she would hope and hope and hope, and then the baby would come out and it would be a girl. Well, finally one day, she got a brother and she named him Woody. This picture, this is that family of early adopters and they move into your neighborhood. They always have the latest technology, except for Junior. His phone still has a cord on it. He never did fit in. (laughs) Oh, this couple, don't you wonder what's going on here? Mom and dad took date night one time. They went out one time and it didn't go well with the babysitter so the kids have never let them leave the house since. (laughs) And these people, I'm not even sure how many people are in that picture and I cannot make up a story to go with it. (laughs) It's something about our families. There's always a story, always a story behind the family. Today, we continue in the Proverbs and we're going to look at family relationships. You might remember that a few weeks ago when Steve launched us in this series, he said, we are just bound to make a mess of our lives unless we find and grow in wisdom. And perhaps our family relationships demonstrate that reality to us, maybe more than anything in our lives. We want to be sensitive We realize some in the room have incredible hurt in the past when it comes to family. Some in the room have incredible hurt today. Some of us, some have had such abusively painful family situations that you've had to establish really concrete boundaries. You've had to have formal separations. And we grieve that with you. What I want to explain at the outset, though, today is this isn't the sermon about the boundaries and the separation. This is the sermon about God's heart for our family connections. These were the relationships God designed in the garden. They were created by him to knit us together. And then as a family, we'd be knit together with him. But the 21st century often finds our reality far from Eden. Obviously, you and I, we want to do these relationships well. We hurt when they don't go well. And sometimes we just struggle to even know what to do. We come here today and we represent so many perspectives. Single people, married people, 
those with kids, those without kids, blended families, all sorts of perspectives we come at this topic with. I hope what we can do is to look at God's guidance, consider his grace, and then think about how we are all in this together. The Proverbs, when they're talking about family relationships, they tend to emphasize marriage and parent-child relationships, but let's just allow the Spirit to speak to each one of us so that if there are other family relationships besides those, we'll know how to apply, what to apply, when to apply. God gives guidance for us so that we can wisely navigate family relationships and he gives grace when we fall short of that. Let's look first at the parent-child relationship. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. A wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. There's great responsibility for parents. What comes out of our mouths matters. So we need to take that seriously. There's also great responsibility for kids. God intends that your parents have a very vital role in your lives. The wisdom writer suggests this rhythm or this pattern, godly parents establishing the right path and children learning to come along and follow that. We've talked before in this series in Proverbs that the Proverbs are probabilities, but they're not promises, so we always read them in the wholeness of Scripture. So let's look to the New Testament and see what we find about parents and children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. There's no place for arrogance in parenting. God intends that the home is a safe place where kids can learn in a healthy environment what God expects of them, what God wants for them. Again, from Hebrews in the New Testament. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. As parents, we need to let God parent us and then that teaches us how to parent our children. One more from Hebrews. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Notice the grace for parents. Hebrews says parents just do the best they know how. And notice the grace for kids. God knows that discipline doesn't feel good while it's happening. So if you've ever been given a time out, 
if you've ever been grounded, if your cell phone has ever been taken away, those things aren't supposed to feel good. But there's a purpose. There's a plan behind it. Discipline is designed by God to teach us what's right. You and I grow to be more like Jesus with discipline. There's responsibility that parents have and there's responsibility that kids have. And with that in mind, let's look at one more parent-child proverb. Direct your children onto the right path and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, if we're not careful, we can think that's just a formula. Put a quarter in the vending machine, push a button and the godly child comes out. Put another quarter in the vending machine, push the button, and a godly child comes out. And with just a roll of quarters, we populate the earth with godly people. It's probable that good direction will lead a child to the right path. But it's not a promise. It's not an easy guarantee. This is where we as parents have to trust God more than we trust in our own prowess as parents. Think with me for a minute this way. My oldest child is almost 11. And from the time she was born, I dressed my daughter in Ohio State Buckeye gear. I did the best I knew how, but I'm telling you, she went off to kindergarten, she took up with the wrong crowd, <laughs> and she came home one day and said, Mom, I'm gonna be an Oregon duck. I did the best I knew how, but she chose that sinful path all on her own. <laughs> now, now, now listen, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If we think train up a child and he won't depart is something totally within our control, then when the child walks away, we have that burden of guilt and shame and judgment. We need to remember that as a parent, the responsibility is to obey God and mark out the path. And the child's responsibility is to obey mom and dad and then come to understand how to obey God and choose the path on his own. I realize my kids are in the third grade and the fifth grade. I don't personally know that pain of raising a child and watching them walk away from the Lord. Undoubtedly in this room, some of you know that pain. You did the best you knew how. You established the path and the child walked right off into the weeds. There's a family that I'm close with, a godly mom and dad and four kids, and the four kids are now all in their 20s. This couple did what they could. They loved their kids. They sought God. And today, three of those kids walk with God, and one of the kids does not. I talked with the oldest kid in the family, and she describes that they were raised the same. 
the four kids, and that the one just kind of always had that tendency for rebellion. That one kid kind of looked for ways sometimes of how to go against what mom and dad wanted. And that led him to going against what God wanted. And those parents have an incredible ache in their hearts. Any parent who raises a child in the way he should go and then the child walks away from God, that parent has an ache in the heart. Reality is that no amount of good parenting ever saved anybody. Only Jesus Christ, the grace of God poured out, saves somebody, a parent or a child, only one way to salvation. And because of Jesus, you and I can keep hoping We can keep praying. We can keep trusting because truly we never know when that one is going to turn and come back to Jesus. For the parent-child relationship, God gives guidance and he gives grace. And he does this for the marriage relationship too. Proverbs gives a good bit of wisdom about husbands and wives, and it's interesting to note that much of the subject of marriage in Proverbs deals with nagging wives and straying husbands. But we can be real, and we know that husbands can nag and wives can stray. So again, what is the Spirit saying to each one of us as we learn from the Word We're going to first look at wives. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. A wife of noble character, who can find? Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Now, I want you to picture that man living on the corner of the roof because it's better than being inside the house with his wife. He's out there year round. The sun beats down on him. The rain pours on him. In the winter, the snow falls and piles up around him. Night after night after night, he's fighting off wild animals. This guy is sunburned. He's wet. He's cold. And he's sleep deprived. And that's better than being in that house with that woman who just follows him around. Nag, 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 nag. But notice the contrast between the quarrelsome woman and the woman of good character. Her husband can trust her. He realizes he has a great prize in her. He feels appreciated by her, and you would never find him on the corner of the roof. Wives, friends, if you and I can support each other just in this, the world will be changed. If we cannot be women who nag and gripe and grumble at our men or about them, but if we can support and encourage each other in building our husbands up, it'll change the world. If your husband tells you that your nagging is about to kill him, that's 
probably what he means. And if that's you, there's no better day than today for you to turn and ask God to help you with healthier ways of relating with your husband. Brief, that's just very brief look at wives. Now, we're gonna look at husbands. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. You should reserve it for yourselves, never share it with strangers. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. Let's think about that word intoxicated. You're out in a restaurant with a friend, and he slams one back, slams another, and another, and another, and another, and pretty soon he's no longer thinking, and he's just drinking. You've observed any number of points where he could have stopped, but every time the waitress came, he got out his wallet, he went through all the steps, he ordered the drink, he waited, and when it came, he slammed it back. He doesn't realize how stupid his behavior is, and he's not hearing you when you're saying, dude, let me give you a ride home. Somewhere between the first drink and drunkenness, he lost all sense of reason. And the wisdom writer compares a man's choices toward another woman to drunkenness. You look, you notice, you stop, you linger, you lose track of all good sense like a drunken man. And pretty soon you're giving to another woman what God intends only for your wife. Are you giving your heart to someone else? Are you giving too much of your time to someone else? Are you giving your body? If that's you, I urge you, there's no better day than today for you to turn around and go back where you belong. If your wife tells you she's not confident that she's your only one, that's probably what she means. Marriage is this relationship designed by God to be different than any other connection on earth. The wisdom writer gives us this guidance about our propensities toward being nagging wives or straying husbands. And then in the New Testament, we get the grace-filled insight to help us know what God wants and how we combat our sinful tendencies. Ephesians says that marriage is a mutually submitted relationship where the husband and the wife both lean in. They become one. Look at this from Ephesians. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Marriage is the only human relationship compared to Jesus and his church. Jesus lovingly sacrificed for the church and the church only has eyes for Jesus. 
When wives really respect our husbands, we're just naturally less likely to nag. And then we wind up treating husbands the way God wants husbands to be treated. And men, when a man really loves his wife, she will really experience what it is to be his one and only. That's the way God wants husbands to treat wives. So we looked at parents, we looked at kids, we looked at wives, we looked at husbands, and man, if we could stay isolated from each other, it would go pretty well, I think. But we all know that's not what God designed, that's not what he wants for the family. And so I've made up this story and I want us to imagine that we are going into the home of a family somewhere here, Salem, Kaiser, Silverton, Woodburn, Dallas, Monmouth, could be anywhere. It's fictitious. I've just made it up. The teenage kid in this home is struggling in school. So mom and dad go meet with the teacher and the teacher says the kid is just not applying himself. So they come home, they take the kid's cell phone away and the kid rebels under the discipline. Dad goes off on the kid and he breaks that command, don't provoke your children. And mom goes off on the dad and says, don't you treat my baby that way. And dad begins to think what it might be like on the roof. <laughs> Left to their own, they're doomed to repeat this. The kid rebels, the dad goes off on the kid, the mom goes off on the dad, the dad gets a sleeping bag, goes up on the roof and sitting there in the rain one night, he begins to think about a woman he knows at work who would never nag him. What's the loop in your family like? Do you have a mess brewing? Left to our own, you and I will never get family right the way God designed it. And God knew that long before the Proverbs were ever even written, way back in Genesis, God showed up to a family that was in a mess. His chosen couple, Abraham and Sarah, he was gonna bless the world through them. He promised them a child, and as they waited and waited, they got a little impatient like we can be prone to do. And Sarah had an idea that she didn't realize at the time was a really bad idea. She took her servant girl, gave young Hagar to Abraham, and Hagar got pregnant with Sarah's husband's baby. Then Sarah saw the error of her ways. So she took the poor servant girl, cast her out. And Hagar, pregnant, abandoned and alone, winds up in the wilderness. And listen to this from Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. It's funny, 
I think the angel of the Lord already knew what was going on. I think that's why he was there. But it seems like he wants to give Hagar an opportunity to tell her side of the story. He wants to give her an opportunity to process. And then he acknowledges her plight. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Hagar is the outsider in this story and the God of the universe hears her cry? Could it be that God doesn't look at insiders and outsiders quite the way we're prone to doing? God's chosen couple and this servant girl now tied up in this family mess and the angel of the Lord appears and says, I have heard your cry. I see what's going on and it breaks my heart. Scholars believe that the angel of the Lord is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. This means that it's Jesus come to earth ahead of his own birth. Only a handful of times in scripture does the angel of the Lord come. And it's always for a situation that has no solution other than Jesus himself. Jesus responded to Hagar's cries in the mess. And he'll respond to your cries and he'll respond to my cries. God gives guidance for the family and he gives grace for when we fall short. And today here in the body of Christ, you and I have the opportunity to be in his new family. Galatians says that in Christ, we're all brought together into one big new family. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. The body of Christ is the family of God and we're going to spend eternity together. Not as husbands and wives, not just as sibling groups. No, as the kids of God himself. And right now, we have opportunity to go from here today and point each other to God's guidance and to his grace. Three things that can help us do that. The first, we need to learn to forgive one another. This is where we acknowledge the wrong and we entrust it to God. You and I can create a culture of forgiveness where we look at ourselves and we look at each other under grace. God forgave us and so we'll work through forgiving each other. Forgiving doesn't mean that every relationship will be restored, but it means that if I'm gonna forgive, I'll let go of my warped belief that I have a right to vengeance. Forgiveness doesn't mean there won't be consequences. We know that sin has consequences. But God will help us as we live in that tension. In order for us to be healthy in our families and to grow in this new family, we need to learn to forgive one another. Next thing, we need to learn to encourage one another. This is where you or I press 
courage into the heart of another person. My husband has done this well for me as a mother. And there was one particular time a couple of years ago that I think was a turning point for me. We were in a dead sleep the middle of the night and we heard this disruption in our boys' room and we ran in there and they were both vomiting. Nick looked at me like a deer in the headlights and he said, darling, you tell me what to do and I'll do anything you tell me to do. I'm yours, I'm helping. And so I gave instruction. The boys need baths, we need to launder their sheets, we need to clean up the mess. And right as we were starting to approach it that way, our daughter's door opened. Nick yelled, sweetie, nothing for you to see here. Go back. She threw up out into the hallway. So the plan had to change and it had to change quickly. I barked out different orders. We had to do it differently. And finally... Working through the night, we got three little ones back into bed and we went back into our bed, collapsed. And in that moment, Nick spoke into the darkness the sweetest words he's ever said to me. He said, darling, you are the Peyton Manning of motherhood. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Now, now here, I wasn't laying there with a helmet and shoulder pads, but here's who Peyton Manning was as an NFL quarterback. He would go to his huddle, give a play, and he and his teammates would come up to the line of scrimmage. And then they would see, he would see that the defense was bringing something that that play couldn't handle. He would shout Omaha and everybody knew he was calling a different play. And when he did that, his teams won. So that night in bed, when Nick said, you call an audible like no other woman on the planet, <laughs> I began to let his words sink in. I began to let that courage be pressed into me. And I had to reckon with the fact that no matter what my kids throw at me, God can make me enough as their mom. So here's the thing about encouragement. You and I have to be close enough to each other in order to know what's going on, in order to speak those words, in order to receive those words. And here at Salem Alliance, we place a high value on people being together in groups. We've got them for kids. We've got them for teenagers. We've got them for college students. We've got them for adults. We've got Life Path, Bible Studies, Hearts at Home, High Quest, Grief Support, Community Groups, all kinds of places where week after week, literally thousands of us come together. We lean in close enough. We share enough so that the others in the group know what's going on. And in that perfect moment, somebody speaks encouragement to someone and it presses the necessary courage into that person's heart. I celebrate with all of you who are experiencing that. But if you're here and you're not yet experiencing that, I want to remind you next Sunday, 1230, in the new Welcome Center, we are starting a new class where you can go and learn how to find your way here how to lean in so that you will be positioned just where God would have you positioned to receive encouragement and to be able to give it to others. If you and I 
are going to live healthily in our families. And if we are gonna live well in this new family, we need to begin to be able to encourage each other. Third and final thing, we wanna serve one another. We can serve by stopping and paying enough attention and listening and then just praying for someone. We can serve by offering, what could I do practically to help you? Could I trim your hedge? Could I fix a meal? Could I, whatever it might be when you're with your friend. We can serve one another in that way. And then another very important way we can serve each other is to just honestly say when they need help beyond what we can give. We can serve someone by helping them find a counselor or find a group, or find the particular service, the particular help they need. And I wanna let us all know that starting next weekend for three weekends out in the lobby, the Family Ministries team is gonna be there and they are gonna be at our service to help us find help we need in these ways. Or maybe some of you here will bring a friend and go with them, help them to be courageous enough to get the help they need. In order for us to be healthy in our families and to grow in this new family, we need to forgive one another, we need to encourage one another, and we need to serve one another. God has this great heart for the family. He gives great guidance so that we can wisely navigate and he gives even greater grace for when we fall short. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for revealing yourself to us as the solution for all that we've ever needed in the past, in the present, and on into the future eternity. I pray you will make your presence known and speak to each one of us And I ask you particularly for those in the room who are hurting in these family relationships. I pray you'd pour yourself out and give a good and wise path. We love you and we worship you today. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.